0: Following is a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more information on Shore for our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. Well, kia ora e te uh, I believe this must be uh, just an incredibly joyful day for God. You know, seeing three churches working in greater cohesion and collaboration together. You know, Summit, Grace City, uh, here at Shore community. And uh, by the way, I've, I've heard so many great stories over the years uh, here at Shore. I meet with Reuben regularly over these past, what, 15 years or so. Um, so lots of great stories from Reuben. also have a sister and brother-in-law and two cute nieces. Uh, if you um, just look for the uh, cutest two little girls named Olivia and Evie, and you'll be able to find them later. Uh, but uh, just wonderful. I hear lots of stories from them as a family too. About what God is up to uh, right here. Uh, Ruben asked me uh, just to start with sharing a little bit about um, Grace City and, and myself. So Grace City uh, used to be called Green Lane Christian Centre up until February this year. Uh, we are famous for being in the most congested part of New Zealand's motorway anywhere in New Zealand. So if you are stopping the motorway, head into the city. It's probably right next to the churches. Look across, and we'll be right there. Uh, we have fifty-one different countries represented within our wider church community. Uh, so uh, gathered from around uh, the greater Auckland area. And uh, just this, uh, this passion we have of, of grace, the essence of the gospel uh, for our city of Auckland and seeing uh, the way that all things can be transformed and renewed by the power of that gospel. A um, little bit about me. I've been married to uh, Robin, my wife, uh, for uh, what 25 years this December. My goodness. Uh, is there something special for 25 years? What, what, what is that? Silver, so I, I probably better start saving by the, by the sounds of that. I'm, I'm from uh, Hawke's Bay originally. Everybody else from Hawke's Bay, you're missing out. It's a great part, great part of, of New Zealand. Uh, we have four high energy kids, uh, uh, you know, um, in our family. And in fact, if you take uh, my, all the initials of my family, so Robin and our four kids, uh, it actually spells Grace. And it uh, was never a kind of one of those intentional things, one of those random things, but it uh, reminds me about God's goodness to us on a regular basis. A few weeks ago, um, Elisha, my younger uh, I had to take into a specialist appointment at Starship Hospital. And uh, the appointment was for 9.15 a.m. We were told to arrive early, so we bussed in, we checked in, you know, a good 15, 20 minutes early. And we waited in that waiting space that all hospital areas have. Uh, 9.15 came along, and we waited some more. A waiting room has one of these clocks. Every waiting room seems to have one of these analog clocks, don't they, with that second hand, and you kind of like hear, it's like they've, they've am, you know, amputated, the, oh, amputated, the, uh, uh, amplified, I should say, the, the second hand, and you hear the tick, 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 tick of that clock. Uh, at 9:30 came around. Doctors would come out. They'd call out a name. I, I, I would I would ready myself in anticipation, but it was never never my name. 9:46 uh, came around on their clock. I checked back at the receptionist just to check we're in the right area. You know, is, is everything okay? She said, "Oh, you're seeing that specialist. Oh, he's always late." Uh, which is said, "Really, <laughs> really?" And uh, and then she said, "Oh, but don't disturb him." which seemed like really scary to me of what might happen when we saw that specialist. And then the clock continued to tick. I scrolled the the corridor. The clock continued to tick with each second. All sorts of questions scroll through your mind, don't they? Why is the system so inefficient? I mean, has he remembered? Is he going to come? Does he even know that we're here? Does he care? How good are you at waiting? i found supermarkets tend to be the best test of our patients. How about I give you a multiple choice question to see how you would respond to this scenario? Imagine you're at the supermarket, and the person in front of you is chatting really happily to the checkout person there. And imagine all the groceries have gone through, and that conversation continues to happen uh, in a very cheerful way. How would you respond? Uh, Option A, you are incredibly happy about the community that's been formed. Uh, you begin to imagine forming a pop-up small group with, with the customer and the checkout person and yourself gathering every week to continue that conversation. Uh, option B. You think of uh, pleasant things that you might chat about when you when it's your turn to get up and, and talk to that checkout person. You might invite them to a, a service here at Short Community or, or talk about the bubble and the opportunities with Australia. Or C, you glare, you cough. You look at other lines to see if there is a faster way to get through this checkout. How many of you are option C people? <laughs> yeah, a whole bunch of us. You know, it's like we have places to go, we have people to see. We're busy people. I, I hate being at the stoplight when it turns green and I'm still sitting behind a driver. I, I don't like it when I pull into a petrol station and-, and all the pumps are occupied and I have to wait for somebody to finish. I don't like it when this symbol comes up on my computer and everything like freezes. Even if it's just like like two or three seconds, it sends me into a frenzy. Now, these are kind of like fairly casual kinds of waiting, and we put up with them most of the time. However, there's other more serious, different kinds of waiting. Uh, When you saw our family photo earlier, Robin and I looked really happy. But photos don't always capture the pain and the confusion when we were waiting to have children for many years. It's hard to wait, isn't it? There's waiting for a single person to see if marriage will ever happen for her, for him. It's so waiting of a spouse that's trapped in a hurting marriage that seems unable to change. Is there's the waiting when your body is unhealthy and, and treatments don't seem to be working or they're inaccessible. It's the waiting for borders to reopen and you're still separated. It's the waiting for the truth to come out so that people know what really happened back then. And until it happens, it's just your uh, people are, are in this daze about who you are and what really happened in that moment in history. It's the waiting for things to turn back to the way they used to be. What are you waiting for at the moment? Uh, what dreams are you waiting for to see happen? What are, the, what are the longings of your heart? What justice are you crying out for? Imagine today that this hourglass represents what it is that you're waiting for. And while we wait, we, we feel forgotten. And the sand just moves incredibly slowly. Uh, Will it ever get to the end? When will it ever get to the end? And each time our prayers go unanswered, or at least it feels that way. But waiting is what you do when there is nothing you can do. Waiting is something that Joseph experienced. If you've been following along these past couple of, of weeks, you know that Joseph has had a pretty tough gig. Sure, he was favored by his dad, but hated by his brothers. And he would be dead if those slave merchants hadn't happened to pass by and to be sold rather than being left for dead in that cistern. Imagine what it was like for Joseph at 17 years of age to be be carried off to a strange country in Egypt, having to learn a new language and a new culture and customs that he knew nothing about prior to this. Oh, but then he, he rose into being in charge of Potiphar's household. Now, things seemed to be looking up. But when he refuses those sexual advances of Potiphar's wife, he's accused of, accused of attempted rape. I mean, how is it that something bad can happen to you when you're doing something good? And then last week, the story ended with Joseph in prison for a crime he didn't even commit. He was doing something good, and yet he's accused of doing something he didn't do. He was once trusted, but now his reputation is all all tarnished, and he's waiting. He's waiting for things to be put right again. And with that background, we pick up the story here in Genesis chapter 40. And like our other weeks, we have readers from our three different churches to bring this reading from Genesis chapter 40 to us. Let's listen in. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him, in his master's house, Why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there was no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. And the birds will eat away your flesh. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. And he lifted up the heads of his chief cupbearer and his chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the baker just as Joseph had said to them during his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Notice how the reading began. Some time later. Uh, Those first three words of the chapter, they, they sound so casual. But when you're the one waiting those words, pretty tough to kind of handle, isn't it? Do you know how long it's been since Joseph has left the good life that he had with his dad? 11 years. 11 years of waiting. All through that time, he's waiting to be remembered. He's waiting for the truth to be told. He's, He's waiting for justice. Perhaps he's waiting for his brothers to, to come to their senses and come find him again. Of course, there were those two dreams that God had given to him about the way that one day he would be honored. Perhaps he's, he's waiting for these dreams to come to their fruition. Because all this happened so far in his story is that he's been sold as a slave and now he's in prison for a crime he didn't do. But finally here in the story, things look like they're about to change. On the same night, Pharaoh's cupbearer and his chief baker have a dream. They can't interpret it. They turn to Joseph. Joseph steps in. Uh, To the cupbearer, he gives this good news. Hey, within three days, Pharaoh's going to restore you to your position. You're going to be putting Pharaoh's uh, cup right back in his hand again, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. And of course, he adds to this. He says, when all goes well with you, remember me. And show me kindness, mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Next slide: I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. I mean, hearing how good the dream was for the cupbearer, the baker comes, and, I guess, full of anticipation to Joseph. But Joseph delivers the bad news. I mean, "Mr. Baker, do you want the bad news or the very bad news?" And it's off with your head. In three days. You know, ancient uh, Hebrew writers have a particular craft in the way they would tell their story when they're trying to make a point. Our scholars today call it a chiism, And the name chiism comes from this Greek word kai because it's written as an X, and it's kind of how the, how the narrative is, is kind of seen. It's kind of laid out like this way um, in Genesis 40. You have uh, the A's kind of paralleling each other, the imprisonment of Pharaoh's two officials versus the next steps of Pharaoh's two officials. Then the B's. Uh, The cupbearer versus the the dream of the baker. And right in C, which is the whole point the narrator is trying to make, you have Joseph's request. And ancient uh, Hebrew hearers and readers of the story would kind of know how the writing would uh, work, and they would kind of lean in when you come to verses 14 and 15. So again, what is it that comes out in verse 14? Here it is. When all goes well with you, remember me. And show me kindness, mention me, and that's actually the same Hebrew word as that word, remember me. In other words, remember me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I shouldn't be here. I'm here for a crime I didn't do. I'm even in this country, not by choice. Remember me. Uh, Three days later, the cell doors open, soldiers come by, they take the baker, they take the cupbearer away, and sure enough, just as Joseph has said would happen, the baker is beheaded, the cupbearer is restored to his position at Pharaoh's right hand. Finally, Joseph has a friend serving right next to Pharaoh. Things look like they are about to change for the best for Joseph. Joseph. And I'm sure Joseph is on like tender hooks as each person walks by the cell. Is this his moment of release? I mean, how long is it going to take the cupbearer to remember Joseph? And with each visitor, with each opening of the door, I guess the hope rises. Could this be the moment? Could this be the moment? Could could it be my turn? But the clock continues to tick. The sand continues to fall. And hope begins to to fade. And the chapter finishes with these disheartening words. The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And then it abruptly ends. And the clock keeps ticking, the sand continues falling, and Joseph feels forgotten. You know, the next chapter begins with these words, when two full years had passed. It will be two full years before something good will happen to Joseph. And we just need to wait one week to hear what that is. (laughs) Joseph had to wait a couple of years before something good would happen, which is 700 more days in prison. I imagine Joseph sitting in his cell, you know, thinking about each one of those days, chalking it up. Two extra years. I mean, how could anybody forget you in that kind of moment? How does anybody do that? And add those two years to the 11 years he's already experienced as a, soul, as a slave in Egypt. That's 13 years. It's a long time to wait. Think about how many full cycles of a 12-hour clock that would be. In case you're wondering, there's 113,880 cycles. Now think about how many cycles of this hourglass here. It would be 227, 760 turns of the hourglass. And to give you a sense of the length of time, consider what's happened in your life over 13 years. Go back to 2008. It was the year of the Summer Olympics in Beijing. It was the year that Barack Obama was elected as the first African-American president in the U.S. It was the largest single-day share loss following the bankruptcies of groups like Lehman Brothers. For your movie buffs, it was the first Iron Man movie ever made. Uh, Facebook began just four years earlier. Think about what you've experienced from from a personal standpoint. I know for me, I had three more children, a new job. I've moved house four times. A lot happens in 13 years. Thirteen years is a long time to wait, to feel forgotten, to feel like no one has remembered you. See, see, waiting is what we do when there is nothing else we can do. Our waiting really is a form of torture, it's a type of, of waterboarding of the soul. And waiting is normal for the people of God. I mean, haven't we seen this already in Joseph's family? Now, Abraham was 75 years old when God came to him and said, Abraham, you're going to become a dad. Congratulations, you're going to be like an ancestor of, of a great nation. But that promise didn't happen the next day. Do you know how long it took before Isaac was born? 25 years. I had to wait like seven years for a child in my family. That was hard. 25 years. God told Israel, his people, that they'd be a nation able to leave the slavery in Egypt and go to the promised land. Do you know how long they waited? 400 years. God told Moses, I'm going to take my people to the promised land. Do you know how long that took? 40 years. Jesus waited 30 years before his ministry began. And on this day, the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was about to be poured out on all believers, what was it that Jesus said? Wait. Wait. Wait for my spirit to come. God anointed David king over Israel, but there would be 13 years between being anointed as king and the coronation of him becoming king. The same amount of time that Joseph had to wait. You see, if you're waiting right now, you're actually in good company because waiting is normal for the people of God. Don't we find ourselves in moments of waiting? Our Paul says in Romans chapter 8, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we, we groan inwardly while we what? Wait. In this case, for adoption, the redemption of our bodies, for in hope we are saved. He says, he goes on, Now hope that is seen is not hope. for who hopes for what he's already seen, what you've already achieved, what you've already uh, experienced? If we hope for what we do not see, we, we wait for it with Patience. And he's talking about the renewal of all things, the renewal of our bodies, the renewal of this earth. But in the meantime, while we wait for it, we we cry out, we we wait. We wait. We wait. We wait some more. Of course, all this leads to an obvious question. Why is it that God calls us to wait? I mean, if, if he can do anything, if he's, well, God, surely... Surely He can bring relief and answers to us right now. And I certainly don't understand all this, but I do believe that God, what God does in us during this waiting space is just as important as what we are waiting for. You see, there are, there are things that we can learn in an instant, but over time we seem to develop a depth of understanding. Uh, if you have kids... Have you ever told them that they need to wait? I mean, of course you have. Did they understand it? Did it go down well? (laughs) No. Did you have a good reason for it? Probably. You know, as God's children, we don't always understand the reasons, but it doesn't mean there aren't good reasons why we wait. And whatever the reason for the wait, transformative. Uh, No time is wasted in this waiting space. In fact, I believe God does his best work in moments of waiting. Now, this might not be why we're waiting. My guess is there is a range of reasons why we need to wait. And many of those reasons we can't understand right now. But think about how much Joseph's character begins to change in the waiting. 13 years of waiting as a slave and as a prisoner, Joseph seems to be changing. Even here in the story in Genesis 14, he gives God credit for the dreams and the interpretation. It's wonderful to see his growing humility, the way he gives attention on God. Perhaps he's beginning to change for the better. And certainly by the end of the story of Joseph, the Joseph we see at the end of the book is quite different to the Joseph we seem to see at the beginning of the story. Over in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter says, uh, while we're waiting for God to set everything right, we should expect that it's going to be hard. We should expect some suffering uh, because things don't always turn out the way we hope them to turn out. Uh, But he says suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. It's like God is producing these qualities in us while we wait. In other words, biblically, waiting is not just something we, we do until we get what we want, but it's part of the process of, of God forming us to be the people He calls us to be. But such transformation doesn't just happen. Instance, there's a good waiting, and there's a bad kind of waiting. A common phrase in the Psalms in the Old Testament is this phrase, wait on the Lord. It's seen here in Psalm 27 i wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Do you know that that word wait has the same Hebrew root word for the word hope? And there's a reason for that because they're connected. That the pathway to hope is through waiting well. That's why some people wait badly, they lose hope. They become disgruntled. They become bitter amidst the waiting. Psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl noticed this in the Holocaust camps, that there was this connection between hope and waiting. He writes from his experience in the Nazi death camps that the second a prisoner gave up hope, he would die within days. And for him, the marker was a cigarette. Every inmate saved a cigarette for the end. And when Frankel saw that man pull out that last smoke, he knew they were as good as dead. Without hope, we die. See, waiting on God means that we remind ourselves that even though we feel forgotten, we're not forgotten. God remembers us. He always remembers us. Of course, it's one thing to wait when you know what the outcome's going to be. It's one thing to wait when you can actually see how much sand there is left in the hourglass. But let's be honest, most of our waiting, we we don't know what the outcome is going to be. And we don't know how long it is that we're going to have to wait for. See, while I'm waiting, I'm reminded that I'm not in control of everything that happens. Waiting well requires a depth of humility To wait well means that I'm reminded that I'm not in control. I don't call the shots. The time is not up to me. And in our society, there seems to be a direct correlation between one's status and the time they have to wait. If you're higher up the picking order, you don't tend to have to wait for things so often in our society. But in waiting, I'm reminded I'm not in charge at all. I look to the one who is in charge. And I place my hope, I place my trust and his big plan for my life and for this world. See, waiting well is this daily decision to say, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to obey you despite the circumstances going on around me. Despite not knowing what's going to happen and when it's going to happen and and what the pathway is going to be, I'm still going to trust you. It's the hardest expression of hope you can ever have. But what are some of the practices that help us in this waiting space? Can I encourage us to explore and step into these three practices? First of all is to set aside time each day to read the Bible. These Mosaic journals are a great opportunity to do that. You know, waiting rooms are full of the 1998 versions of the Herald Digest or that you know, 2001 copy of North and South. That's not what we need in our waiting space. And so we need to sit with the Word of God every single day. It's, this is breathed out by God as living and active. And it reminds us that we are not forgotten. He remembers us. And so we sit with the living, breathing Word of God, and we sit with stories like that of Joseph. And these stories realize, help us realize what it is to wait. That we realize we're not alone while we wait. Many of us ask questions like, where's God in that situation, and where is He in that circumstance over here? Do you know one of the ways God answers that question? He doesn't provide us with a theological treatise. He provides story after story after story right in His Word about people who are waiting, just like you, just like me. And if we read their stories, we start to see God's actually in the story, even if the character in the story might not have seen that at the time. And we start to see the outcome of the story and it's meant to help us in our own waiting. And it reminds us God has not forgotten us and he will not forget us. So I might read a book in the Bible like Lamentations. It lives up to its title. It's just this misery book about suffering and difficulty and things aren't going right in life. And yet the poet Right in the middle of the book, in Lamentations 3, he says, it's good. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It hasn't come at this point, but he's waiting. And then he says, after expressing all of his frustration and pain, he says, the next verse, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And I love what he says. It's like he says, I'm gonna call it to mind. It's somehow in the back recesses of my mind, I'm gonna work hard to bring it to the very front of my mind. It's this deliberate, determined, teeth-gritting decision to recall how God has remembered us in the past, how God has remembered his people in the past. I'm gonna remember it front and center in my memory. And as we sit with God's word, we we start to remind ourselves, we we bring it to mind. We're not forgotten. You know, a second practice that has helped me for some time now is just identifying three specific areas that I can be grateful for today. It's a habit i practice for quite some time. Helps me remember that God is present right now in my life, in my situation. You see, the narrator of the story of Joseph wants us to see that this is the case for Joseph. I don't know if he saw it right in the moment. He certainly sees it as he looks back over his life. We'll see that in weeks, weeks to come. But even in today's story, the narrator wants us to see this. He says, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him in prison. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. See, what I found is this simple practice of looking back over my day. It helps me see God's activity in the, the various parts of my day and of my life. And it helps me to wait well while the sand continues to fall. You might want to even pick up a jar at home, an empty jar, and every time you are reminded of God's presence in your life in somewhere, you just jot down a word or a phrase and you pop it in that jar. So when you're, when you're in one of those difficult times just watching the sand fall in the hourglass, you're able to sit back and, and go through that jar and remind you, bring it to the front of your mind, what you need to know. A third practice, of course, is just to be still in prayer. I like to find a moment every day where I just sit in silence and remind my soul that God has not been silent. God has spoken. Sometimes the noise and all the activity of my life and the confusion of everything going on around us seems to shut out His Word and I don't hear His reminders to me. So I silence everything around me just to hear what God has said. I search my own heart. This isn't a silence of despair, it's the silence of waiting, a silence filled with hope because God has not forgotten us and neither will He ever forget us. And eventually our waiting will be over. Of course, the question for us today is, will we wait well? See, maybe you have a dream about certain things that you would love to accomplish might be some work or some ministry, and for reasons you don't understand, it's not right happening in your life right now. And you're tempted to try to force things to happen, to manipulate people or use circumstances in some way, and maybe you're tempted to give up or just, just drift along in life from here. And if that's you, well, you have the patience to wait well, not to quit, but to wait patiently for the Lord. maybe you're single and you feel the pain and the the stigma of singleness. And you feel this legitimate longing for intimacy. And waiting is hard. And maybe there's a relationship right at your fingertips that promises to take that loneliness away. But you know the relationship isn't honoring to God or, or that person isn't really suitable for you. Maybe that person doesn't share your commitment to God. Maybe that person's putting pressure on you to be involved sexually, even though you're not married or married to a different person. But because of the pain, you're tempted to think, I'm through waiting. It's too hard. So I'm asking, if you're in that situation of, would you just wait on the Lord? Will you courageously say, okay, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I will not get hooked up in a relationship I know is going to dishonor you. And even though I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold, I don't know how long I'm going to have to wait, I don't even know what it's going to look like in the future, but I am going to trust you. I will wait. Will you wait well for whatever it is that you're waiting for? So how did I get on in that waiting room at Starship Hospital with my son? Well, we waited a long time. It turned out the specialist was working away on some tests that we actually needed. He hadn't forgotten us at all. And sure enough, our name was finally called and we got his focused attention and it was well worth the wait. I'd like to lead us in a moment of quiet prayer. We could just close our eyes for a moment as we just prepare ourselves to talk to God and express our confidence now waiting on Him. You know, a regular practice for me that I've adopted is from this ancient prayer, prayer practice of people who have been waiting a long time. And they say, just place your feet firmly on the floor. So where you're sitting right now, just try to place your feet firmly on the floor and feel the stability of the earth. Remember, God is holding you down via gravity while the earth spins 1,600 kilometers per hour right now. But while the world is spinning and your feet are grounded on the floor, just take a deep breath. Allow your soul to become aware of God's presence in this moment. You may not have realized it, but He is here by His Spirit. And in the quietness of this moment, amidst this spinning world that you can't control, just give God thanks for maybe three specific areas, even from today. Might be the frozen cherries I was able to thaw and add to my porridge this morning. A child who's healthy once again. The opportunity to gather in person as a church community. I'll just give you a moment just to add your thanks to God in this moment. Father, it's hard to wait. Many times we just hear the ticking clock, the sands running through the hourglass. It's one thing to hear about the need to wait, but the reality of waiting is really difficult for us. Will you help us to wait well? Will you help us to place our trust in you? Will you help us to remember that we are not forgotten? And we thank you for the bread and the cup we're about to take in communion. It's our remembrance of your remembrance of us. This table that reminds us that we are not forgotten. This table with a a story of the gospel that reminds us that we are remembered and we will always be remembered. And so we take this cup, we take this bread, and we wait on you. We wait on you. And that even when we feel forgotten, thank you that you remember. In Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shore.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455